It's Suzanne Delbanco calling from Catalyst for Payment Reform. How's it going? Great to hear from you. Well, thanks for picking up. I just want to warn you, we've got an audience listening in, but I, I called you today to check in on updates in the area you're very passionate about, value-based insurance design. But before we get into that, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. It's my pleasure. I'm Mark Fendrick. I'm a practicing general internist, and I'm the director of the University of Michigan Center for Value-Based Insurance Design. So what is value-based insurance design, in case anyone's listening who hasn't heard that phrase before? Well, I wish everyone's heard of VBID, but many haven't. As uh, all of your listeners know, Americans are being asked to pay more for their health care in terms of premiums, cost-sharing, and deductibles. And it's interesting that uh, Americans have easier access to services that are low cost as opposed to the ones that will make them most healthy. So instead of setting consumer cost-sharing based on the price of a service, value-based insurance design sets cost-sharing on the health value for a particular service. So the good stuff is inexpensive as opposed to the low-cost stuff being inexpensive. So we make the good stuff cheap, and the stuff that you shouldn't buy for patients, uh, we charge them more. So in other words, when I sign up for a health plan and I know what my deductible is, my co-pays, that might have some kind of impact on me in terms of my willingness to seek care if I have to pay a lot out of pocket, either you know, to meet the deductible first or, or for you know, a visit to the doctor. And what value-based insurance design does is for things that I really need, uh, it weighs the costs um, so that I don't have any financial barrier. Is that the idea? Well, I wish we could say we waive them. Um, probably the biggest VBIT accomplishment, even though most people don't know it's a VBIT accomplishment, is the section of the ACA that's amazingly popular that waives cost-sharing for now up to 80 preventive services like immunizations, counseling, and cancer screenings. But value-based insurance design could just lower cost-sharing for a high-value service in a particular setting, such as a high-value clinician visit, a diagnostic test, or a drug. And more importantly, the the more nuanced VBID gets, it actually could take the same service and make it low cost to certain people and less to others. My best example of that would be an ophthalmologic or eye exam in the fact that we lower the cost sharing for individuals with diabetes because we know how valuable those eye exams might be. But don't make them as low cost for the average population where it may be viewed as less important to go to the eye doctor as those with diabetes. Got it. Um, so I know of, you know, changes to value-based insurance design, uh, you know, opportunities have been in the news over the last maybe six months to a year. Can you catch me up on what all these changes have been? What's new in, in the world of value-based insurance design? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we've been working very hard to expand VBID principles into both public and private payers. And there are two major accomplishments since we last spoke the first is the Medicare Advantage uh, value-based insurance design demonstration and other aspects in Medicare Advantage. Some might recall that uh, there was a very small MAVBID demonstration in seven states and just a few conditions uh, launched in 2015. And in the past year, the signing of the Bipartisan Budget Act expanded the VBID demonstration to all 50 states, uh, which was quite impressive given that it's the only CMMI demo that was started by the Obama administration that was expanded by the Trump administration. In addition to the geographic expansion, MAVBID 2.0, as it's called by 
Secretary Azar and Administrator Verma has added some very interesting elements beyond lowering cost sharing uh, for providers, services, and supplemental benefits. This includes uh, telemedicine, it includes uh, food and transportation, and there's also inclusion potentially of the uh, hospice benefit being included in the MAV demo in the early 2020s. In addition to this advance in the MAV demo under CMMI, there's also the uh, amendment to the uniformity rule in Medicare Advantage, which used to require that all uh, beneficiaries in MA had the same benefit design, which you know, Suzanne, is the opposite of what value-based insurance design is. And the change in the uniformity rule now allows MA plans outside of the demonstration to put in clinically nuanced cost sharing, allowing certain services to have cost sharing based on uh, your condition. The big difference between the MAV bid demo and the uniformity rule change is that only those uh, MAV bid 2.0 services like telemedicine, hospice, and, and things like Part D drugs can be done in the demonstration. Uh, a more restrained version of VBIT can be done outside of the CMMA program. On the private side, we've also had a very exciting movement afoot is that in the fastest growing type of commercial health plan, the health savings account qualified high deductible health plans, uh, the initial uh, IRS guidance for these plans precluded uh, value-based insurance design in that it did not allow pre-deductible coverage of any service that was not already in the safe harbor or this place where you can cover services on a pre-deductible basis as mandated by the Affordable Care Act. And in July of this year, after 14 years of advocacy, uh, the Department of Treasury issued a guidance allowing uh, HSA, HGHP plans the flexibility to cover 14 chronic disease services on a pre-deductible basis. So we've been very pleased to see that opening of the gate, so to speak, such that Americans in these plans will never have to pay full price for things like insulin, uh, antihypertensive medications, and medicines to treat their asthma again. Uh, plans will have the flexibility to cover these on a pre-deductible basis. It is my very strong hope that uh, the plans that administer these health savings accounts will move quickly to reduce the financial burden for these essential medical services and allow people to have access to them without having to pay the full list price. But before you, you know, add other other developments, so is the expansion of the number of services that you know you can apply uh, value-based insurance design principles to voluntary? Meaning, it, it's not mandated that health plans do this. So it's it's sort of up to an employer and or health insurance company whether they decide to create this expansion. If you're talking about the uh, HSA HDH. P reform expansion, absolutely. I tend not yeah. to be a, a mandate person. I, I believe very strongly that there are certain individuals who uh, would benefit from these current uh, skinny HDHP plans. But as you well know and bring uh, national attention to, Suzanne, this idea of full replacement and that many firms are now moving only to one option for their employees, uh, many of these people with chronic diseases get caught in a very tough place when they have to have um, high deductibles. And given that the average deductible for an employer-based plan is over $1,000 and 40% of Americans don't have 400 in the bank, I have argued for quite a long time that patients should not have to have a bake sale to uh, afford their insulin. 
Got it. Thanks for that clarification. So, so continue on. So, what what else has? So, you've talked about Medicare Advantage. You've talked about in the commercial market, um, in the high deductible health plans with HSAs. What else has gone on in the space since we last talked? It's a lot. Yeah, so we were really concerned when people liked the intuitiveness and the bipartisan support for VBID. People would ask over and over again, why isn't value-based insurance design taking off? And I'll be honest with you, Suzanne, I think the main reason why VBID has remained kind of a secondary interest to health plans and employers is because as, as I ask for uh, these purchasers to cover services more generously, it should come as no surprise that if you buy more good things that don't save money, uh, the total spend goes up, even though quality of care and patient-centered outcomes go up in many situations. And many purchasers, public and private, don't have more money to spend. So the only way that we could make a VBID plan become cost-neutral or saving and not increase premiums or not in increase out-of-pocket costs or deductibles, because those are the only two ways previously to make that happen, is to focus explicitly on the care that we shouldn't be buying even if we're free. Fortunately for me and unfortunately for purchasers, many people estimate up to a third of every dollar we spend on health care are things that don't help people at all. And I felt that in exchange of buying the high-value services and not having premiums or deductibles go up, the only way to do that would be to identify specific low-value services in those specific categories where we could uh, stop buying those things and use them to buy more high-value services. So we've been working with a number of purchasers across the country to identify and measure low-value care. We've put out a top five list of things like uh, population-based vitamin D screening, imaging for back pain, uh, pre-op testing for low-risk surgery like cataracts. We have PSA testing over the age of 70, and we have the uh, always problematic for me use of branded drugs where a pure generic is available. And uh, we've used that as an example to show that if we were to get rid of spending on these things that have little or no value and sometimes actually have harm, it would open up a fair bit of dollars for us to buy more of the good services or lower the cost sharing on them. So this summer, uh, after two decades of my colleague Michael Chernu begging me to create a cost-neutral VBID plan, at behest of the uh, Trump administration and, and other health exchanges, we worked on a project called VBID-X, which was to create a cost-neutral plan that had more generous cost-sharing on high-value services that was paid for dollar for dollar, not with premiums or co-pays or deductibles, paid dollar for dollar on increased cost-sharing of low-value care. We've been thrilled, Suzanne, to see the uptake of this idea being quite positive and thrilled that... Uh, Covered California in your home state has been shown real interest in VBIDX and is considering seriously incorporating those principles into designs down the road. That's really interesting to hear, and it will be interesting to see if, if it has uptake because, you know, obviously, you know, this is a challenging situation for employers. Costs keep rising, even if they're not rising at the same rate they used to. And so, you know, how do we provide more generous coverage um, leading to higher quality care without, you know, you know, getting to a point where it's really not affordable? So it, it also can reduce harm, reduce waste of time, reduce all kinds of negatives to yep. move away from some of these low-value services that we're all used to getting because they get prescribed or ordered, um, and we don't really think twice about them. 
There's um, tremendous so, enthusiasm. Yeah. Sorry, there's just tremendous enthusiasm over saving money. I like to tell people to get 20 people in the room to talk about quality improvement or patient-centered outcomes. I have to invite 40. To get 20 people in the room to talk about savings from low-value care, I have to invite 10 because they always bring someone along who's interested in saving money. Yeah, well, I, I sort of fear that we're at a place where these two things are becoming more and more intertwined. You know, when you think about improving the quality of care, but the anxiety that, you know, the bills it's going to create will uh, lead to for a patient, you know, these, these two things become more and more intertwined in terms of, you know, what the patient experience is. So while, you know, I'd love there to be a pure wall between the two and for us always to aim to the highest, you know, quality that we can, keeping in mind the affordability and the financial burden of healthcare for people is, you know, super relevant today as well. This has been such a good update. I really appreciate it. I, I, you know, I guess anything else, any other takeaways we should have before we say goodbye? Yeah, I think it's just interesting that you and Catalyst for Payment Reform have done so much great work in talking about sometimes the adversarial incentives for providers as well as consumers. And I think that while I believe benefit design has a very strong role in getting people to do more of the things they should, I really believe it's going to be payment reform and supply-side initiatives that are going to be the key levers to reduce uh, low and no-value care. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we feel strongly about is we've got to have the incentives aligned. So if we're going to hold providers accountable for improving the quality of care, we shouldn't create financial incentives for consumers that makes them work at odds with what we're expecting the provider to do and, and sort of vice versa. So we see, you know, value-based insurance design as an opportunity to really try to line up some of the incentives we're trying to create for providers through payment reform. And, you know, hopefully if we could keep tweaking and get to the right place, uh, it'll all start, you know, working more easily and we'll have an environment that's more conducive to improvement and we'll all enjoy our lives better and be healthier. Well, it's great to speak to you again. You can imagine I have this Cheshire cat grin as you're articulating back to me my peanut butter and jelly argument that I made a year ago. But for those who need to know what the hell Mark's talking about with peanut butter and jelly with aligning consumers and providers, they'll have to listen to the archive version. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for advertising our archive. Yeah, we, we certainly have all of our prior conversations recorded and available for other people to listen to. Hey, Mark, thanks so much again for your time today. And, you know, maybe we'll check back in in a year or so to see what else has developed. Thanks so much for having me.